welcome to the podcast for St. Andrew's Community United Methodist Church, a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith where our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. Patromius was an Egyptian military man who was won to faith in Christ by the kindness of a group of Christians from Thebes. When he was discharged from the military, he chose to be baptized in 315 A.D. Now, in order to grow in this newfound faith that he had, Patromius became a disciple of an ascetic called Palamon. And Palamon was one of those kind of desert-wandering hermits, and that's what he believed disciples were to do. The ascetics were that group of people. They would live in the desert. They would wander around hoping to get revelations or some kind of vision from God, and they were just weird. They ate grass. Some of them lived in trees, and some of them didn't wash. They thought that the solitude and the sacrifice were the ways to deeper discipleship. And Palamon would do what he could to help Pachobius become a committed disciple. But after a while, Pachobius, I keep misspelling his name, but I don't know that I'm saying it right anyway, and neither do you. <laughs> Pachobius <laughs> began to question this whole isolation, live alone, sacrifice, and solitude kind of stuff. Some of the questions he asked were, how can you learn to love all people if you're never around people? How can you grow in humility if you live in isolation? How can you grow in the fruit of the Spirit? How does one grow in kindness and goodness and gentleness unless you're around people that challenge that? How can a person be patient unless you're around people that test it? And so it was, he decided there was a different way. And as an ascetic, he started an ascetic koinonia. His was a group of followers that understood that they must receive hurt from people rather than give hurt to people. And instead of solitude and sacrifice, they were given to worship and work and discipline. But his place in church history has largely been lost. But what he initiated has not been. Because what he initiated is a vital part of creating the church. Now, in this series, we must always remind ourselves that as much work as we do to, to build a church and help our church grow and to be the church in the, our community, we always have to remember it's God who creates the church. And unlike creation where God just speaks and it is, God creates a church out of people. That's why we say that we are the church. And in order to be a part of the church, not this church, although it applies here too, but to be a part of the church, a person has to turn from their sin, turn to God, and be baptized. Those are the qualifications. And at that point of the profession of our faith, we are baptized not only with water, but we are baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire so that we now have the power to live the way that God has called for us to live 
as the church. So it is, we read about the beginnings of this in Acts chapter 2. And last week we began to discuss how it is there are four ingredients to creating the church. Four things that those first disciples committed to so God created the church. Let's go ahead and put that verse up there that we looked at. This is kind of our guiding uh, scripture for the next few Sundays. Let's read this together. All believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And so it was that last week we looked at apostles' teaching and we really just identified and clarified some very basic questions just to make sure that we weren't assuming things. Number one, who were the apostles? And the apostles in the Bible were the 12 that followed Jesus, and Jesus gave them his authority to go do things. They were people who had traveled with Jesus. They had experienced Jesus. And even though they're all dead, we believe that apostleship is still a gift of the Holy Spirit that God gives to the church with people who have experience and gifting in order to be apostles. And primarily what they taught in the New Testament was Jesus. Who Jesus is, what Jesus wanted, what Jesus requires of us. And so it was that as the apostles would teach, people responded in faith. And today, apostles are people with that gifting that continue to show others who Jesus is. And so now we come to the second ingredient, fellowship. Fellowship, hmm. If somebody outside the church were to come up to you and say, what can you tell me about fellowship? How might you respond? I think in some places they would say, well, you know, fellowship is a place. The church of my childhood, First Methodist in Frederick, Oklahoma, I remember well, we had a fellowship hall. It was a place, if we ever had a church dinner, that we had our church dinner. It's where we uh, played Foursquare because that's part of fellowship. The church I grew up in in my youth in Oklahoma City, we didn't have a room we called the fellowship hall. We had a room we called the gym because that's where we played basketball. And that's where we had all church dinners, the same kind of things that we did in the fellowship hall at Frederick, we did in the gym at St. John's. And some of y'all are old enough to remember because when I came to St. Andrews, we had a fellowship hall. How many of y'all remember that? Yeah, that's what I thought. Very few of you, because the rest of y'all are newer. You should feel good. If you, you look in the mirror, you can say, I'm new, because that's how it works. If you didn't know, when you walked in the, the front doors, the offices were on the left. <laughs> that's my right, of course, but on the left. And the fellowship hall was on the other side. And it was a room, and it had two French doors that opened into it. We had meetings in there whenever we had meetings. We had a Sunday school class that met in there, and that's where the coffee was. But we began to look at that, and we said, you know what? It, instead of really seeming like a hospitable place, it seems kind of exclusive. It's like a country club. You have to know the password to get in before you can get a cup of coffee. And so we made a decision as a church to knock the walls out of it and open it up. And so we're the coffee bar is, if that's what you call it, the hospitality area, wherever you call it, that's what it's for. That's a place where people join together for fellowship around a cup of coffee or sitting around a table. 
But I want to submit to you, fellowship is not a place. And so someone else might ask the question, hmm, what is fellowship? I mean, we just read it in the Bible. Is that just like a biblical word? Is that like a church Christianese slang word that means hanging out? It's just a place where we spend time together? Well, I would submit to you that you can't have fellowship in the church if you're not hanging out and spending time together, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's fellowship. You see, the, the word in Greek that is translated in this particular version of the Bible is fellowship. In other translations, is called community, but it's the Greek word koinonia. People were committed to koinonia. Now, if you were to ask people, where at St. Andrews do people experience this? Some people are going to say, well, you know, the adult classes, we have the discovery class, the seekers class, the eagles class, the agape class, the frogs class, and another class that we can't pronounce a name of, the koinonia class. Koinonia is a Greek word, and it's translated community or fellowship. I actually like the idea of community. We all need community. We all need a group of people that we belong to. We all need a group of people that we can hang out with and do things together. But I submit to you, to find that, you don't have to be in the church. People find community and fellowship in a lot of different places. There, if you have children or grandchildren that are in an activity, you experience community among the other parents of the other children that participate. If, you know, I, I just have to wonder, band parents, y'all hang out with band parents. Y'all take each other's kids before they drive to band practice. You know, hey, I'll take your kid, you take my kid. You know, I mean, you find community there. Athletic teams, I don't, you know, whether it's soccer or softball or baseball or football, parents or, hey, you know, we've, we've got community here. In fact, to be on that team, you usually don't want to hang out with a bunch of people that you don't like. If you do, you find a different team because you've got community. A couple of weeks ago, they were having a document shredding thing down at Moore Norman Technology Center, and we had some documents we needed shredded, and I, I pulled up in the line, and a woman saw me, and she recognized me, and she came up, and she gave me a hug. Our sons used to play baseball together. I haven't seen her in about four years because she was a nurse in a hospital, and somebody in our church had a baby, and she was there when I went to see the baby. We caught up with each other because we had shared community. You can find it in a civic organization like the Optimus Club or the Rotary Club or the Kiwanis. People find community through fraternities or sororities. Veterans find community at the VFW. We find community in a lot of different places. One of the places I don't understand is online communities of people that play games or get into chat rooms. You see, even if we're introverted and don't always like being around people, we still have to have community. And so whenever we're trying to define what this part of the church is, we understand apostolic teaching, then we must understand when God is creating the church, it is created with a social element. 
Petromius was right. You can't be a hermit and really be committed to following after Christ. You have to have a group of people to belong to. But if we can find community in a lot of different places, the question exists, why do we need it in the church? What is it that distinguishes Christian community from all other types of community? And there's a couple of answers to this, but the first answer I will give is this, that when we have authentic Christian community, there is concern for and dedication to each other's highest good. Concern for and dedication to each other's highest good. An anthropologist was studying tribes in Africa and he decided to have an experiment. He got a big basket of fruit and he put it beneath a tree and then he called the children in the village to come to him. He said, okay, y'all see that basket of fruit? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have a race and whoever gets to the fruit first gets to have all the fruit. And so he lined them up and when he said go, all the children grabbed hands and they walked to the tree and they sat and shared the fruit together. And he was stunned by this. He did not anticipate this. So he said, why did you do that? And the response was, Ubuntu. And I don't know that I said that right either, but neither do you. But that's how we're going to say it, Ubuntu. He said, what's Ubuntu? They said, I am because we are. How can one of us be happy when others among us are sad? Ubuntu. I'll be honest with you. You do that same social experiment among American children, and I see a completely different way of looking at it. You line them up, and the fastest, strongest kid is going to get there first because that's what we teach in our culture. We teach, look out for number one. Always be the best. And unless that child has been taught that you ought to share with everybody else, that child is going to keep that for themselves, maybe share it with a few friends. That's not concern for the highest good of other people. That's not dedication to the highest good of other people. We actually see this again in the book of Acts. And here's a scripture we want to read. I'm going to skip verse 43, but I'm going to look at verse 44. Here's what we read. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship, to their koinonia, those who were being saved. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. 
whenever you had this group of people that were gathered together on Pentecost and now the Holy Spirit is poured out on all of them so that other people say, what is happening here? And Peter explains, this is what happened. And they say, then what are we supposed to do? And he said, turn from your sin, turn to God, be baptized. For this Jesus whom you had crucified is both Lord and Messiah. When they hear this, they respond in faith, 3,000 are baptized. Now, again, you have to think through the context of what this looks like. Among this 3,000, they don't all live in Jerusalem. It was very clear they had gathered from surrounding nations, but as faithful Jews, they had come to this place to celebrate Pentecost. But now that they have professed faith in Christ, they don't just want to go back home. Who's going to teach them unless they're able to grab one of the apostles and say, will you please come back to my nation and talk to my people and help them to understand about this Jesus? That's not what they did. They abandoned where they came from so they could be a part of Koinonia. And they devoted themselves to apostolic teaching and they devoted themselves to one another so that there was concern for and dedication to each other's highest good. In other words, you don't have a place to live because you're not at home. Come live with us. You don't have food to eat. We find great joy in expressing our generosity. We'll sell what we have and we'll all share life together. Koinonia. It's not just hanging out. It's not just spending time together. It's living in a relationship with other people so that we have concern for and dedication to each other's highest good. If you want to get the greatest benefit from being a part of this church, we've got to have koinonia. We've got to live in these relationships where we experience other people being concerned for us as we are concerned for them, where we're making that mutual commitment, where we experience Ubuntu. I am because we are. But then there was another part of koinonia that's very important. Koinonia offers healing when there is hurt. Mm-hmm. We all need that, don't we? We all need that. So often, far too often, whenever there is an unexpected death, people say to me, I don't know how anyone gets through this without the church. Translation, without fellowship, without koinonia. I love that if you were to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, It describes a church with a beautiful analogy. It's called the body of Christ. And of course, when you read that in that context, what it's talking about is how, you know, your hand can't say to your foot, I don't need you because, you know, your hand can grip or release. Your foot can, you know, walk or kick out, I guess. I'm not exactly sure how that would work. But, you know, your eye can't say to your ear, I don't need you, that all parts of the body need all the other parts. But I would suggest to you that when one 
part of our physical body hurts, that the rest of our body suddenly puts its attention on that part that is hurting so that it can bring healing. Let me give you a couple of examples. I want you to imagine that you cut your finger. Now, when you cut your finger, it hurts, right? Sometimes more than others, but it does not feel good when you cut your finger. So as soon as you cut your finger, your hand, your arm, your shoulder all acts in a first response to bring healing to your finger. Do you know how it does that? It quickly pulls away from whatever it was that just caught your finger to hurt. It gets your finger out of there so your finger no longer hurts. And inside your body, your blood now goes into default mode to send clotting agents to stop the bleeding because that's how your body is going to heal the cut of this finger. And sometimes, this is not a stretch of my imagination, perhaps it stretches yours, but sometimes your mouth brings healing to your finger. And I don't mean by expressing the words that are going through your mind that do not honor the Lord God whenever you cut yourself. Instead, have you ever done this? Ah, mm. Because there's something cooling and comforting about spitting on your cut finger. <laughs> this is how God created our bodies as a church. We are the body of Christ. Let's say you sprain your ankle. It, it's, it hurts to walk. What does your body do? Your arms, your shoulders, your back are all happy to pitch in and let you walk on crutches so you don't feel the pain. Your other leg, if it's your right ankle, your left leg is willing to bear the weight of your body so the ankle can heal. In true Christian community, in true fellowship, in true koinonia, there is healing for each other when we hurt. Ooh, that's good news. Church is created with the social element. We're concerned for each other and we're committed to each other and we bring healing to each other when we hurt. But isn't it possible that you can find that outside the church? Isn't it possible through other relationships that you will find people committed to you and concerned for you? So I would suggest there's one more thing that has to happen for true, authentic koinonia. You see, our fellowship is centered around the person and the purposes of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, we don't have the church. That's why the apostles were teaching about Jesus because it was important that people knew him and how we are to live. And whenever we gather together, it's important that Jesus is the center of what we do. We're not just hanging out. We're building each other and helping each other to know this one that we have committed our lives to. I, I have been around churches, and, and I'm probably going to get in hot water saying this. I have been around churches where there, there might be a, a discipleship group of some type. And if you were to go to that group and, you know, they would welcome you there and then they're going to say, you know, we're, we're really not much about Bible study or prayer. We're just about fellowship. That tends to mean that uh, we don't really spend that much time doing spiritual things. Sometimes it means we like having chicken dinners and ice cream socials. 
Brothers and sisters, I will tell you, without Jesus, the church is as cold as that ice cream and as dead as that chicken. Christ has called us to a place and our response to him is turning from our sin and turning to God and realizing that when we are baptized, we are part of a Christian community, of a fellowship. Our vision as a church is so tied into this. Our vision is what? To be a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith. A loving, caring, overcoming fellowship. A loving, caring, overcoming koinonia. Centered in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the center of who we are. He is our purpose for gathering together. And so just as God created the church out of people by helping us to understand what the apostles said, that this Jesus who was crucified is both Lord and Messiah, and now it's not just open to the Jews. It is for all people to be welcomed into God's family. And last week we asked, what is your commitment to apostolic learning? Doesn't matter what's being taught if we're not committed to learn. Today I ask you, what is your commitment to koinonia? Where are you concerned for and dedicated to the highest good of other people? Where are you offering healing when there's hurt? How have we centered our lives around the person and the purposes of Jesus Christ? That is the challenge ever before us because it is really a part of who we are in the church. Would y'all pray with me? Most holy God,